Peace and blessings. This is Muslims for Peace podcast. You have tuned into Muslims for Peace podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. وسيدنا وسندنا وشفيعنا ومولانا أبي القاسم محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين المأسومين المظلومين I begin in the name of Allah God the beneficent, the merciful, the omnipotent, the almighty, the just In his infinite mercy and blessings he has created us though we don't deserve to exist because, as he tells us in the Holy Quran, I have decreed upon myself, ala I have decreed upon myself mercy. And our existence is purely due to the mercy of God. And as we know, the term mercy encompasses love, it encompasses justice, it encompasses beneficence, and all the positive qualities that you and I can imagine that we all have and we all possess potentially. Allah SWT created us and He tells us in His blessed book, the Qur'an, as we know the Qur'an is the final revelation. When Adam was created as an intelligent being among all the vast creations of God, Allah endowed this human being, Adam. As you know, Adam means mud creature. Uh, and in Islam, he is the first prophet. Not only is he the first human being, but he's also the first prophet on earth because guidance is a necessity and thus it warrants that the first individual also be guided not only as a human being but as a prophet. And when Adam was created, God commanded him to promote good and forbid evil. And that is when Allah in the Quran says, "Kuntu khaira ummatin ukhrijat linnas, ta'muruna bil ma'aruf wa tanhauna 'anil munkar wa tu'minuna billah." You are the best in the community. God says to us, "Who are you? You promote good, you forbid evil, and you believe in God." That's the fundamental foundation that we were given when we were created from our generation. And the Almighty Lord, when He created Adam, He taught him and gave him a scripture. We know over time, four major scriptures were revealed, although others were also revealed. As we know, Abraham, the prophet Abraham, was the patriarch of the Abrahamic faith, which is the Jewish, Christian, Islamic religions. We find that even he was given a prescription, Sohufi Ibrahim. Musa, Moses, the great prophet Moses, was also given a prescription. And if we examine all these prescriptions across the board, they all preach the same message. And the message is, believe in one God, don't adulterate this because your morals are derived from God. And if you adulterate your belief in God, you adulterate the potential morals that you should follow and therefore our guidance is obfuscated 
which makes it impossible for us to fulfill the objectives of God's creation, which is to stand upright and to promote good and forbid evil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فِطْرَةَ اللَّهِ الَّتِي فَطْرَ النَّاسَ عَلَيْهَا لَا تَبْدِيلَ لِخَلْقِ اللَّهِ ذَلِكَ الدِّينَ الْقَيِّمِ Allah says, keep your faces upright. وَأَقِمْ وَجْهَكَ لِلْدِّينِ حَنِيفَةً Keep your faces upright. دِينِ حَنِيفَةً Hanifa, as you know, Ibrahim, Abraham was called the one who's Hanifan, Musliman, upright. So the principle is universal. From Adam onwards, that in Islam, we encompass all of them. Not that Islam is the youngest of the Abrahamic religions, but rather from our perspective, it incorporates all the prophets. It's not a new religion that came 14 centuries ago. It's the religion that was perfected and completed 14 centuries ago. These prescriptions that came, there is a wonderful concept that we must pay attention tonight. And I really, first and foremost, would like to acknowledge my gratitude to my brother Joshua Stanton, my uh, Imam from the NYU, uh, which I had the privilege yesterday of visiting a fantastic project in the heart of New York City, where they cater to hundreds, if not thousands, of our believers uh, in Islam and brothers in other faiths to come together and have a dialogue, as the Quran says. Invite them to the way of your Lord with wisdom. Meaning that with wisdom. And kind exhortation. Never with an attitude to say, I am saved, I am better, I am going to paradise, my religion is better than yours and yours is not so good. No, Quran does not allow that. There is nowhere in the Qur'an where Allah allows a human being, a believer especially, to be condescending on any human being. For God has laid the foundation very clearly from the get-go that لا إكره في الدين There is no compulsion in religion. قد تبين الرشد من الغي Truth is clear from error. It's a matter of whether you want to exercise your free will or not. And these kinds of projects, these kinds of relationships we have with our brother, for example, Joshua, standing up for the rights of Muslims in America, and by God's grace, the Jewish community is progressive in the United States. If you go to communities, in the Jewish communities, you'll see their synagogues. I've been to so many of them to deliver my presentations in interfaith dialogues, with building bridges with the Jewish faith. And I find them to be very, uh, structured, very clean people, very visionary, and loving. They're not bad people. No human being on earth in general is bad. I've never seen a nation, a society, a culture, a religion that professes hatred in their core principles. I have not seen it. It's only a vocal minority that creates trouble. Then we all become victimized because we are typically the silent majority and we end up paying a hefty price as a result of that. And history has shown that. So, I'm honored to be in this presence. Thank you so much. Let me make my point clear as to why it is an obligation upon us as Muslims. If we can reduce this, I don't know somehow this microphone has become more sensitive. <laughs> 
Allah in the Quran says the following. This is, by the way, the Quran, as we know, is the final revelation that came to complete all the other messages. And the Quran emphatically places that principle that the revealed books of Musa and, uh, and Isa, Jesus, and Dawood, the Psalms of David, these are all books that were revealed from one God. And when I see my Christian brethren or Jewish brethren speaking of their scriptures, I know at the heart of what they're talking about, at the heart of the conversation, it is the conversation of God. Because a human being at the end of the day is not foolish in, with, with matters of salvation. And when we uphold a religion, it's because we inherited it generally. It's what we acknowledge and what we recognize to be legitimate, and therefore we profess it. Our obligation as human race is to see the commonalities that we have, and not to become experts in looking at differences but rather to go on the basics to look for the commonalities and say that we are a human race. And what is fascinating is that the Quran constantly reiterates that. That your obligation as a believer in God is to acknowledge fundamentally that you are of the same race and you come from the same set of parents. Which sets the foundation for justice, social justice, equity, harmony. I mean, we cannot... Uh, describe it further than these kinds of verses. So let's let's look at what the Quran says. In the fourth chapter, Surah An-Nisa, Allah SWT makes the following statement. It says, Ya yuhan nas, taqu rabbakum alladhi khalakakum min nafsin wahida wa khalaka minha zawjaha wa batha minhuma rijalan kathiran wa nisa wa attaqu Allah alladhi tasa'aluna bihil wal arham inna Allah kana alaykum raqiba O oh people, mankind, look at this. Ya yuhannas, O mankind, God is talking to everybody. Believers in Islam and others, or the whole human race. Be careful of your duty to your Lord. Here, be careful means, what is the duty of our Lord, uh, to our Lord? Promote good, forbid evil. That's the duty. God does not need our worship. He's independent. He's telling us, be careful of your duty. You have a duty to your Lord. For your Lord is ever watching, and He is the Almighty, all just. And even if you commit a crime in the dark of the night, and you oppress somebody in the dark of the night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, God sees what you do. That is to me the ultimate justice. For no two human beings on earth today, can give total justice to each other. Not even identical twins can give total justice to each other. It's impossible. We will always misunderstand the other side and we will always cross the line. Not intentionally, unintentionally, but we become the receivers of oppression unintentionally. So where do we draw the line to that kind of crossing? And God says, I see everything. On judgment day, even a subatomic particle of good deed shall be seen, and the evil shall be seen. And God says, I am ever watching. I think it's elegant. When I had discussions with atheists on this issue, I said the difference between us and you is that both of us want to succeed. The difference is we have taken into account the totality of justice, whereas in atheism, we just don't have that capacity. 
because you've limited your scope to this life. Whereas there's much more to life than this life. For the wisdom and intelligence demands So God is saying, He created, listen to the, the elegance of the Quran, subhanAllah. Who created you from a single being. We are all from one being. There were no two Adams, no two Eves. One Adam, one Eve. How And all of us have come from that. And there is wisdom in that. People say, look, why didn't God just create multiple Adams, place them on earth, let them have conjugal relations, and let's all be from a pool of, you know, Adams. There is wisdom behind that. For we humans, are experts in segregations. As much as we're gregarious in nature, social, and we love to have other beings around us, you know, Robinson Crusoe example, stuck on an island and there's nobody there. I tell you, if it's torture, one torture is solitary confinement. Human being in solitary confinement is the worst kind of torture. You would think, you know, being alone, we're so individual. You would think that being individual is great. No, for a moment, yes, to run away from the madness of the human race, okay, once in a while, but not all the time. So Allah is saying, look at how easy you are in segregating yourselves. Where within our communities, we come from a country, we say the northern region is better than the southern region, if I'm from the north. Or the southern region is better than the north. Or the east is better than the west. Which town do you come from? Oh, my town is better than yours. And then we make jokes about the other town. We want to belittle the other one. All the funny jokes are on the other town, not ours. <laughs> right? And then, further than that, skin color. Oh, the lighter skin definitely is better, more intelligent. This nonsense people make comments. That the human race has enslaved their own kind at such an alarming rate that until today, when we're looking around, we have a new form of slavery. And I'd like to talk about that briefly, given the time. We have a new form of silent slavery, which in my opinion is worse sometimes than the ones that were carried out centuries ago. To some degree, it is worse. Because this one hits at the core of so many issues that the collective damage as a result of this form of slavery what we call economic slavery, hegemony in trying to rule a, a people and take their free wills away is so detrimental collectively that in the olden times there were a few thousand slaves. Today we're talking in the millions dying and we, we don't even bat an eye. That form of slavery. We're so easy in looking at continents like Africa and calling it a dark continent. Dark. It is one of the richest continents on earth, and yet we have enslaved it constantly. It's like become like a steamrolling cheap carpet to walk on and to wipe our feet as we want, when we want. We take nations and rob people of their right. Within the United States, we have so many people today beyond, below poverty level in the United States, the richest country in the world. How is it possible? India. India is the richest country in the world. Do you know that? India has more money, cash, than any country in the world. Besides Apple. <laughs> you find, in India, you would think who are the poorest people in the world? 
Where are the poorest people in the world? You think Africa? No. The poorest people in the world are in India. Beyond poverty. You cannot describe it. Even the rats live better. How is this possible? When there's seven billion of us, we have civilization. We are so advanced. We can send people to space all the time. We're able to talk on the computer in milliseconds around the world. How is this possible? What is going on? When we cut it down to the chase, we will see it's at the moral argument and our personal prescriptions that we have to submit ourselves to. Allah says, Inna Allah la yughayru ma biqawmin hatta yughayru ma bi'anfusihim. God does not change the affair of people, the state of a community, until the community changes themselves first. Because God has honored us. God says, I honored you. I gave you free will to choose your destiny. We have guided you to the path, whether you accept it or not, whether you are grateful or ungrateful, it is in your, on your shoulders. That burden is on your shoulders, God is saying. I can certainly change this. Like the atheist the other day, I was just having a debate with, he said, why doesn't God just stop all the suffering? I said, it is tantamount to you. What you're asking is that God should take our free will away. That which we can change, why are we pointing to God? God has endowed us with that ability. Let us not point a finger at God. It's about us. says one kind and spread from these two many men and women and then immediately right after that says and be careful of your duty to God duty I repeat what is the duty righteousness is not that you bow east or west no the Quran is emphatic about it, that your righteousness is to promote good and to forbid evil. That you stand upright and you fight for the cause of humanity and you bring justice and harmony in society and you have been endowed with enough ability to do that, that our acquiescence, meaning the tacit silence, as a, folk, as a silent majority, it's like Martin Luther King said, the worst thing is when injustice takes place and we are silent about it. It is the worst thing to do. We don't rise against it. So Quran is saying, be careful of your duty. He says, by whom you demand one of another your rights. And to the ties of relationship, arham, your family. The importance of keeping the family harmonious. A father should behave like a father. A mother should be a true mother to the child. I deal with children every day, thousands of them. And I tell you, at the core of our social problems is what happens in the family. When parents don't show the love for their children that they need, and we're busy keeping up with the Joneses, thinking that our wealth will save us, we find that our children become very, very marginalized. They cannot think properly. And then we think they've got attention deficits. And we think, and then we need to prescribe them massive doses of drugs because we're living in a chemical revolution where we have to now stuff them with all kinds of uh, drugs in order to silence them. What a world we're living in. What happened to our intelligence? 
What happened to our potential? To me, I've never seen a child, even a three-year-old, that lacks intelligence. A baby that is born to me is intelligent. Every child is intelligent. The problem is when we're lost in translation and we don't communicate with them properly, and we lose focus of the true purpose of what our existence is for, then we start causing even unnecessary damage, which brings problems in society, which becomes an anathema to us, to the extent that now we have to expend billions of dollars to try to remediate those problems. When Islam promotes the basic core principles that prevention is better than cure. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, and I'm, I'm going to say this very briefly, God in, in the Holy Quran is, has commanded us that we should enjoin justice upon each other. And I, will, I would like to recite a very important verse in the same surah, in the same chapter, the fourth chapter, where God is saying the following, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمُرُكُمْ أَن تُؤَدُّ الْأَمَانَاتِ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهَا وَإِذَا حَكَمْتُمْ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ أَن تَحْكُمُوا بِالْعَدْلِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ نِعِمَّا يَعِذُكُمْ بِهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ سَمِيعًا بَصِيرًا Surely God commands you to make over to their owners and that when you judge between people you judge with justice surely God admonishes you with what is excellent surely God is all seeing all hearing it takes me back to this word amana. We are celebrating the birth of one of the greatest, to us the greatest individual ever to have been created, the Holy Prophet Not to say that the preceding prophets like Ibrahim and Moses and Jesus were not great. No, they are incredibly great. Great beyond description. All the prophets to us are sublime beings, highly revered. God spoke to them directly. They were infallible in our position. And these were the ultimate role models for humanity. Because at the end of the day, since Adam was created and we have been enjoined to promote good and forbid evil, we are intrinsically bound to look for role models by which to emulate that. And therefore there is a need, an inherent need for prophethood because if guidance did not come, there is no way for me to understand what does it mean to promote good and forbid evil. The Holy Prophet in the Quran says, Allah says in the Quran, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ And indeed, your moral conduct is of the utmost. خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Your moral conduct, O Prophet, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ You have the best moral conduct. Let me exemplify it briefly. We find that when the Messenger of Allah with his family, particularly, were being persecuted, and the companions too. We know Ammar ibn Yasir, who was a great companion of the Holy Prophet, was tortured on numerous occasions, to the extent that even his face was burnt in the hot sands of the desert. We find that Allah SWT commands the Prophet that your time has come to migrate because they are now on the verge, they've decided to kill you. And the Islamic principle is when death is on the verge, then you have to migrate, you have to take a safety zone. And therefore he migrated from Mecca to Medina as we know. 
And what was interesting is that the Holy Prophet was known even by the disbelievers to have a title. And it was a profound title he was given, not by the believers, but by the non-believers. And in fact, when he declared his prophethood in public after the age of 40, at the age of 40, he was always a prophet from our perspective. At the age of 40, he's declaring his prophethood. He stands on a mountain known as Abu Qubais and he asks the people, he calls them, says, all of you come. He says, if I tell you there is a caravan behind this mountain, would you believe me? And they said, no doubt, anta sadiqul ameen. You are truthful, trustworthy. He says, and I declare to you there is no God but one, and I am his messenger. And that was a bombshell. <laughs> to the disbelievers, this was a bombshell because the implications were huge economically. Economic. I'm underlining the word economic. You want to see today why Islam is vilified? Why is it castigated and marginalized? And why is media so quick in attacking us? Possibly one reason which I believe is the threat Islam has on the economic conditions of the world today where the rich want to get richer and they want to take everything from us. So when the Prophet declared, they knew in the mind, he's saying there is one God. We've got 360 gods in the Kaaba, the house of God. That's a problem. Which one's going to go? We find that the attack came on the Prophet, but interestingly, how does the Prophet validate himself? He says, look, now what are you going to say? I never lied to you before. 40 years you never saw me lie. 40 years you never saw me slip. So now you've got 40 years of evidence against yourselves. It's like a friendship. If I ask you who's the best friend, you'll say the friend that has lasted the longest and has gone through trials and tribulations. That's the best friend you have. The one who st stood with you for the longest time. That's the best friend. Time is the sealer of such relationships. The Messenger of Allah is declaring his prophethood after 40, at the age of 40. You might say, but Jesus, peace be upon him, declared his prophethood in the cradle. He declared himself, he says, I am a servant of God when Jesus was in the cradle. And his mother, Maryam, peace be upon her, brings the child. They accuse her. How is it your family is so good? How could you have done such a thing? God says, be silent. Don't say a word. She points to him. This year Jesus is proclaiming his prophethood. He says, I've been made a prophet and I've been given the good news. What is the good news? He is the good news. And he has been given a scripture called the Injil. He's been given. Now you might say, here Jesus is declaring his prophethood at birth. But the Holy Prophet is declaring his prophethood at the age of 40. One would think from a very surface level that don't you think Jesus' declaration has more validity? Because he's performing a miracle and he's speaking in the cradle. There is wisdom behind speaking in the cradle, by the way. The wisdom particularly was, he was a unique case who was born without a father. And therefore it needed to counterbalance to validate the mother from any accusations. And therefore the wisdom of God is to have 
Isa to speak in the cradle. But if I compare the two, and all of them are fantastic, in the wisdom of God, every prophet who declared himself when and how is within the wisdom of God, and it is ensconced, as we say, in the, uh, in the, in the stamp of God's perfection in his creation. The prophet is declaring at the age of 40. Why? He's declaring it to prove the point that you have no room for argument. Go back 40 years and find me a mistake. Wow. And we didn't even know you were a prophet then. The prophet said precisely. Now what doubts do you have about me? That, in my opinion, is the highest form of miracle. Muhammad Now the prophet, as you know, is Sadiqul Amin. He's migrating. During that time of 40 years, the non-believers used to take their jewels. You know, at that time we didn't have Chase Bank and we didn't have vaults. They would take their jewelry and give it to somebody who was trusted for safekeeping. It's interesting. It's an interesting concept. You know, we have wealth. We go so much after it. But we are its slaves that we have to guard it. Whereas knowledge and wisdom, when we get it, it guards us. So they left it with the messenger of God. Who were these people? These were the same people who were plotting to kill him. These were the same people who wanted him dead. These were the same people who were worshipping the 360 gods. And this was enemy number one. SubhanAllah, I tell you, glory be to God, that here's a man who's now got the possession of your wealth. It's like imagine today the Muslims control the Federal Reserve. <laughs> imagine if you were empowered to be the person to sign the checks from the IMF, the World Bank, with the accused, right? The Holy Prophet was in that stage that his, he, was, he was being attacked, ready to be killed, and he's holding the wealth of the very enemies. You and I, in modern terms, human terms, in a very lay way, would judge to say, you know what, that's an enemy, he's attacking me. Let me seize his property. It's my right. I should seize it. And because at the end of the day, he has violated human principles, he has attacked me. And he, since he has attacked me, he's, attacked, he has to, he's attacked my integrity. And therefore, since I have no integrity, then, then I don't need to honor theirs. And therefore, the wealth that I have is no longer yours. SubhanAllah. The Prophet in the dark of the night leaves Mecca. And he calls his brother Ali ibn Abi Talib And he find, he calls him and tells him, I am leaving, you will sleep in my bed. In fact, he asks him, he says, will you? He says, the greatest, the greatest opportunity God has given me is for me to die for you. And to sleep in your bed tonight while the daggers are waiting to stab me is an honor for you, O Prophet. That's how much I love you. So he sleeps in the bed, and the Holy Prophet leaves all the wealth to him. It says, after my departure, give it back to the people. SubhanAllah, look what the Quran says. God commands you to make over trusts to their owners, unconditionally in other words. Even if the enemy is attacking you, give back the ownership. Don't rob them, don't steal from them, don't uh, justify theft 
at the cost of because he's my enemy. Today in the world, we're occupying lands, we're killing people, we're taking the rights of people, we're freezing assets only because you're my enemy. God admonishes us this, and this is why the, the God in the Quran says, Allah says in the Quran, He is of the highest moral conduct. That conduct is extremely important for us to understand. And I don't have time to discuss all that my, my respected scholars who have spoken before have given enough of a foundation for me to conclude on these few important points. First, we talk about revolutions. We are living in a period of revolutions. You know why revolution is taking place? Because some people have pushed the envelope just too far. See, we have this slave mentality. The slave mentality is, as long as you throw a few crumbs down from above, and I can sustain myself, I'm happy. I'm not going to raise a finger against you. This is what we are living in the world today. Majority of us are receiving crumbs, and we're happy. We have, been we have accepted that, learned helplessness. There's nothing we can do about it. It's just too great. Learn helplessness. Whereas Allah says, no. Look at this messenger in Mecca. The establishment was quite contrary. And there were only three in the beginning. The Holy Prophet, his wife Khadija and Ali. Only three of them. Look how they rose. And look what they brought justice on earth for. That today, the fastest growing religion in the world. Not because of expansionisms. Not because of proselytizing door to door. But it is a growing religion. And it is seen very clearly by the pundits to be a threat. And I say, why is it a threat? For what reason? Islam has never promoted injustice, has never promoted killing unfairly, has never promoted even attacking anybody preemptively. Because I do believe, and this is my personal opinion, as we all have an opinion, I do believe that there is much about social justice that Islam promotes which is very amicable, very tasty, very uh, attractive to the oppressed. And I think that's part of the reason why we see this expansion taking place. But when this country was founded, Thomas Paine <clears throat> and Hamilton, the founding fathers of this country, had a vision, and I respect that vision. The vision of having seen a monarch like King George III, who was the law, in other words, the king was the law. Thomas Paine writes in his writings in the early stages of this country's founding, he says, no more. Law is king. No longer is king the law. And he made a very interesting point. He said, as long as we adhere to the law, the law of universality that looks at the human race equally, that should be king. Sadly, sadly we find that even when that was created, even the founding fathers were slave owners. And they turned a blind eye. That in the Constitution of the United States, it says all men are created equal. But we forgot to put in parentheses, except the dark-skinned ones. Hmm? Sadly, that form of slavery continues until today. We have to adhere to the fact that the human race is equal regardless of skin color, regardless of nationality, regardless of economic status, and that's why as a Muslim, you know, as a Muslim, what I see, 
that when I see kings and presidents pray, when God says, come, uphold your prayers. God doesn't say, oh, you king, you go to the altar up there higher, you know, sit on the throne. No. Sharia even rules that the sujood cannot have so much height. That means when I bow, I cannot have an object so high that reduces my prostration. So when I observe the king and the guards doing their prayers, God is asking me, who's the king there? Notice, there's, there's no king here. This is just temporal. And then that same king, if he were to go for pilgrimage, God says, take your garbs off. Take your opulence out. Take your jewelry out. Leave the Mercedes behind. Come to Arafat, where you're going to dig a hole and wait 24 hours as my guests in the heat of the night. And take it off. And for your information, that garb that you don yourself in the state of pilgrimage, you cannot stitch it. You cannot don it. You cannot put any embellishments in it. It has to be as simple as possible. And better yet, I know you've got lovely, glowing, soft, silky hair. Take it off. My vanity. Take my hair off? I never felt my scalp before. <clears throat> God says, take it off. You will remove it. Remove it. So now the king and the servant are looking alike. God says, that is my message. You are one and the same. Social justice of the highest form. To take it further. To take it further, we find that when Bilal, as you know, Bilal was a companion of the Holy Prophet who was a slave. This is social justice that we need to practice. When Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation a century plus ago, it was just a signature because economics did not, was not good for slavery. It, wasn't, it, was, it was no longer profitable to bring slaves to America. Although I respect Lincoln tremendously, I think he was a man of justice. He was a man of vision. He was truly, in my opinion, one of the great presidents of this country. I really admire him. And in my opinion, when he signed it, sadly, up to the 60s, a black person could not sit in the front of a bus. And you see pictures in the 60s where the colored people had to go from the side and the white people could come from the front. Up to the 60s, up to the early 20th century, women could not vote in this country. Up to the early 20th century, women could not vote in this country. What am I pointing a finger at? It's not only this country. We look at all parts of the world. We're living with backward cultures that today in certain countries, we talk about Islam, the Holy Prophet emancipated women and men. In the time of the Prophet, in the period of Jahiliya, if a, a stepmother, in other words, if a son has a stepmother and his father dies, he inherits her as a property. He can do what he wants to her. Can you imagine this? This is how women have been subjected to the kinds of tyranny historically, which is unfathomable. It's amazing how ironic as a human race we are that ask even that human being who looks down at a woman and ask him, what do you think of your mother? He will say, the greatest love I have is for my mother. Well, you forgot she's a woman. This is the ignorance of the human race that if we're not guided, 
Until today, these cultural nonsenses are still prevalent in our society. That in some parts of the world today, if a girl refuses to marry a boy, they pour acid on her face so she cannot get married again. This is unacceptable. In our cultures and communities, Islam came as a religion to complete the message, to, to remove us from the spatters, and to make us free as a society, and to make us happy and successful in society. Why are we perpetuating the old backward concepts of cultures that have nothing to do with the core principles of the divine religion of God? Tell me. same situation, the Holy Prophet shows us the proof that you need to take the step that when Bilal Habashi, Bilal, Abyssinian, slave, was free, the concept of the common Arab was a slave is always a slave, even if you free. At the end of the day, he's a slave forever. The Holy Prophet assigns him commandership of the army. Wow. The Arabs of the time, who were aristocrats, were stunned by this. The Prophet said, Bilal, you will lead this army. They said, how can a slave lead us? The Prophet said, am I your prophet or are you? Hmm? God did not send him, but as a mercy for all, not for the whites, not for the Arabs, not for the Muslims, for all of mankind. So the Prophet is saying, don't interfere on this. Bilal is just the same a human being as you are. And the merit between us, Ya Yuhannas, inna khalaqnakum min dhakarin wa untha, wa ja'alnakum shu'uban wa qaba'ila lita'arafu. Inna akramakum inna Allah yadqarum. O mankind, we made you male and female nations and tribes, so you know each other. The best among you to God is one who is God conscious, meaning one who is cognizant of his or her responsibilities to promote good and forbid evil in a just fashion. Otherwise, you are not acceptable in the eyes of God. As we know in Islam, a Muslim starts his shahadatain by saying, La ilaha illallah. If you look at the word la in Arabic, it means no. I think that's very revolutionary. I think a religion that tells me to, re to, to introspect myself 24 hours a day, never to say that, yes, I'm the greatest thing that ever walked this earth. Or yes, God loves me. Sure, God loves us all, otherwise he wouldn't have created us. I believe we have to look at each other and say, where am I going astray? Where has my decadence gone? Where have I lost my pathway to the real belief in God? Hence, the Shahadatain starts with Allah. There is no God but one. And there's a wisdom behind that, by the way. That's one example I can give you. Obviously, the other main reason why we start with La is no, because God is leaving no room for argument. When you start with a negation followed by an exception, you notice the rule stands there's no room for argument. God didn't say there is a God and He is Allah. God says there is no God but Allah. So don't even bring the argument forward. That's how concise and eloquent and succinct the religion of Allah is. But I take the essence, and the essence is revolution, rise, stand up. Tunisia today has risen. Yes, the global forces are there to control it. Egypt has risen. The global forces are there to control it. You find all the risings that are taking place in the Middle East. Leslie Hazelton, as you know, is a, is a 
is a well-known uh, speaker. She said it's interesting, she spoke at the Islamic Center in Michigan, she said it's interesting that we are the scions of democracy in the world today, but it is the Arabs, the Muslims, who are teaching us how to do it. We say when we stand up for Wall Street and take Wall Street away from us, from all the destructions that are taking place, it all boils down to our responsibility. So let me conclude. And I would like to say that as a human race, I feel that our obligation, regardless of what faith, and that's why I love interfaith dialogue. I love listening to people like my brother Joshua speaking, for example. I love to hear Christians speak. I love, last, last year I think we had a, uh, a pastor who came last year when she spoke. These dialogues are not to proselytize. It is to bridge and to tell our children, hatred needs to go out. We cannot hate a community. This 9-11, post 9-11, when we look at ground zero, a community wants to build an Islamic center, and you've got people who are so confused, so myopic in vision, because media has created this single-tracked, tunnel-visioned individuals who are destructive in society, and these extreme forms exist in all forms of life. Within Islam there are, and without Islam there are. All kinds, and they become so active and proactive, that they cause all kinds of problems for us. So let us stand today while we celebrate that this Holy Prophet did not just come for us to just praise him and to put him in our pockets and to walk gladly to say, yes, I'm a Muslim and I love the Prophet. No. Allah says, in kuntum Allah, Say, if you claim to love Allah, then follow the Prophet, obey him, follow his principles, apply it daily, and be just and fair across the board. And one final point I want to make before I end. Please, brothers and sisters of all human races, particularly mine who are the Muslims, stop, we must stop judging people on the level of heaven and hell, please. Nobody has the right to damn and condemn everything to heaven. As Muslims, 10 times a day, if we keep the prescription of God, 10 times a day we say, God, you are the master of the day of judgment. You, God, Maliki Yawmiddin. God says, you say it 10 times a day. How did you become the master? Who authorized you to send anyone to hell? Who authorized you to allocate paradise to anyone? It's not your authority. You just struggle. When you see an atheist, you see an unbeliever in Islam, look at them like brothers and say, the potential of this individual to promote good and forbid evil is the same as mine. It's a matter of discussion to find an equitable ground where we bring harmony together and we respect each other at that level. And believe you me, I say if we simply promote this without passing judgment or damning and condemning women to hell or to condemn the, the ignorant to hell or the other non-believers to hell, this is what brings sickness in society which leads to myopia, which leads to all forms of destruction. I end with that by saying that God has gifted us, blessed us to come to these parts of the world. The United States was founded by the very people who wanted that justice. Today, sadly, sadly it's not happening. The justice is not happening today. 
And I'm concerned about our citizens. Millions of homes are being foreclosed. We have to be visionary. You might say, do I need to take a placard and stand on the street and fight? No. First, as was mentioned before, let's fix our homes. Let's bring harmony to our children. Let's strengthen the foundation, one. Number two, when we're in social gatherings, speak kind words, promote it. And anytime somebody is damning and condemning or backbiting or vilifying someone, stop it. And say, no, I want validity or else I'm not ready to listen to this. This is what brings harmony in society. When enough of us reach that level of comprehension, trust me, the vocal minority will be so limited, the negative vocal minority I'm talking about, will be so limited, they will not be able to take us into the ditch. And inshallah, we will become that vocal minority because vocal minorities are only the ones who run the show in life. The difference is we need to start creating top-notch, well-visioned vocal minorities. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Rabbana khfir lana wa li ikhwanina alladheena sabakuna bil iman wa la taj'al fi qulubina ghilla lil ladheena amanu Rabbana innaka raufur rahim The verse I just recited, Rabbana khfir lana Our Lord, forgive us, protect us, all of us and our brethren who preceded us. And don't put rancor and hatred in us, among us, as a human race. And let us have the mercy of God coming unto us. This verse is, by the way, in the Quran. May God bless you. Thank you very much. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa Mr. Jafar Nafri is the president of the Interactive Network for Continuing Education and he participates in many religious and social awareness programs in the Tri-State area. He actively promotes the leadership of, of the younger generation and believes that we should encourage Muslim youth leadership in America by getting involved in the decision-making processes of the community. Mr. Nafri's interests also lie in serving the community and its overall welfare, enhancing education and moral attitude of the youth along with developing a mutual understanding and respect between the various religious and ethnic groups. Dr. Azad Sadiq is a board director of, is the board of director for Muslims for Peace and has been on the board of several other organizations including Muslim Foundation and the Shia Association of North America. In the past, he has been elected as the president of the Universal Muslim Association of America. He's an active member in various community events and also the founder of many religious organizations. At this moment, I'd like to invite both Mr. Jafar Nafri and Dr. Asad Sadek to the podium. The first thing that I always wanted was that our young leaders in the offing the young, aggressive, and wonderful uh, students, especially workers, to take on the responsibility of running this day's event. And I'm so happy and so glad to see that that has been accomplished. There was a five-minute presentation that was supposed to happen on Muslims for Peace also, besides the Muslim Day introduction, which uh, out of modesty, I guess, didn't happen. Uh, but I want to let you know that I've been involved in this for a long time, but 
this has always been uh, the organization that was created and is run by the young people uh, and by our future uh, leaders. And this year, uh, this, they have elected to have an executive director, uh, an outstanding young man that I personally come to know for the last two years when we started our um, operation or the organization for the freedom of Bahrain. Um, he has just been extremely, extremely wonderful and I'm so glad that he's taking this over as an executive director. Uh, I would like to invite you to please, uh, and I really want you to do this, is read about this organization, the Muslims for Peace, in the absence of the five minutes that we didn't take. And in it you will find the resume and the introduction for Nappi Hadar. Nappi Hadar, as I said, is the young man who really is coming up on the scene as one of our best future leaders and I'd like to. Uh, before I invite him, I would like to really thank on behalf of Asa Sadiq and myself, thank you everyone for coming today, attending, and I'm sure that you have benefited from these wonderful presentations and all the three speakers. I mean, I really, I'm an honest to God, I was so impressed with each and every one of them. Uh, Josh, thank you for being here. Uh, I've heard so much about agriculture, so wonderful to hear the depth of your knowledge, and of course, his name, who has always, always impressed us very much. So thank you very much. Once again, I just want to add to what Jafar had said. I, with the bottom of our hearts, we thank the speakers for enlightening us. And uh, social injustice is one of the founding founding pillars of Islam. During the time of the Prophet, when in his company uh, a very rich man was sitting, a very affluent individual, and then a poor person seems to walk in. So this rich person moves himself away. So the Prophet felt that the, uh, the, the, the poor person was less economically well off, felt slighted. So he made sure that this rich person apologized to him to, to give an example that social injustice cannot be tolerated. And in this society, we need to follow these examples of the Prophet and the Holy Family to make sure that we get rid of these viruses and we get rid of these kinds of diseases that are only going to take us downhill. Thank you very much for all of you. Ladies and gentlemen, Nati Assalamualaikum. First of all, I'd like to thank our speakers for giving us the opportunity to take part in their wisdom and knowledge and their continuous dedication, not only